This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, January 27th, 2023, on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Matthew Moore will be with me in a bit, but with me right now is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, how much snow did you get this week? We got, uh, I'd say, between four or five inches, maybe yeah. in some spots, six inches. I, I'm one of those folks that usually discount. Um, you know, they, we've had so many episodes where we're getting this big snowstorm and then you get scant, you know, or a trace. But the weather folks are on target with this one. Let's let's start uh, our review of the week by going to the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority, uh, a, a report that came out uh, day before yesterday. And it shows some real activity with the authority, right? Yeah. And the first thing, this report, um, it always makes me feel old, uh, <laughs> which I guess I am. But um, it always reminds me that this all began back in 1997. And I was a pup working for the Fort Smith Chamber then. And I remember helping all these folks and working on the legislative side. I mean, in the background, I was definitely not a, out front on it, but... I was providing assistance to those folks who were out front. So um, it always makes me feel old. But this report, their 2022 report, which they just put out midweek, um, you know, it kind of it, it encapsulates. If you drive out to Chaffee Crossing and you only drive out like once every two months or once every three months, you will just find yourself thinking, holy cow, where that popped out of the ground. Where, where did that come from? This report encapsulates that. It summarizes. It says, okay, all that stuff you've been seeing, here's what it is and here's the value to it. They, the property sales in 2022 was around $3.8 million. They say they put, um, they generate the property they've been selling over time um, has generated 25, almost $26 million in real estate taxes for the region. And it's, uh, and again, they said it's in its 25th year. They say they're, you know, at all-time highs in capital investments, which I guess they should be after 25 years. But a few numbers I thought interesting and impressive, really, um, is there are 891 million uh, in projected capital investments that are still out there, with 810 million of that being residential, and then commercial retail development being uh, just under 18 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for the Smith Metro. Yeah, uh, I realized that you know, maybe for Northwest Arkansas or Little Rock Metro, that may not be a lot, but that is a, that is a huge uh, region for development uh, in the area. Um, and since they've been selling property in those that periods that they formed back in the late nineties, they've developed 44 residential neighborhoods, excuse me, 42 residential neighborhoods um, with 4,200 uh, multifamily units. Uh, accounting for 62% of all the neighborhood, the residential development. And in 2022, there was an 8% increase in that residential development. Um, they uh, assert a direct job count of 3,600 um, and one jobs that are out there with projected jobs going forward. They didn't give a time frame on that. The projected jobs, I guess, with if all that development comes through at a little over 4,500. So it's a not only an investment base, but a job base. Of course, one of the anchors uh, is the Arkansas Colleges for Health Education. That has really been, um, I hate to use game changer because it's such a cliche, but it really fits in this sense. I mean, that has just become an anchor, a focal point for a lot of development, residential and retail, primarily uh, in that area. Now, Kyle, on the other side of that, of course, you know, folks with um, kind of these smart town uh, urban planning type developments might cite some uh, or might have a little bit of heartburn over kind of what they might see as some metro urban sprawl. Because one of the uh, one of the other issues with all of this is that cities like Fort Smith and Barling have had to increase their investments in police and fire utilities. So there are some public sector costs. Um, and it would be some interesting analysis, analysis to see how that equates out in terms of generated real estate taxes, you know, economic activity, that type of thing. But a lot of development out there. Uh, this report is pretty impressive. But like I said, if you've been driving around out there, 
for the past year or two, you're not going to be surprised by these numbers. This week, a former Arkansas legislator from the River Valley, Denny Altus, pleaded guilty to account of abuse of public trust. I'm not sure I'd ever heard of that charge. What What are we talking about here? Yeah, well, I think both you and I have seen many abuses of public <laughs> trust in our years of being journalists. But yeah, you're right. I didn't, up, up until this happened last year, I didn't realize that that was actually a no-no, a legitimate no-no. In this case, it, it was a class A misdemeanor. I've talked to some attorneys who, um, when this first came out, that said it could you know, depending on how it was adjudicated, it, it could be a class C felony. Um, so there are apparently different levels of abuse. And I'm sure for any attorneys listening to this right now, that they may be screaming at the radio because I'm not explaining it correctly. But Mr. Altus, who's been a former legislator, former state senator, representing Fort Smith area, has been a member of the quorum court. Uh, if you remember, he was Arkansas drug czar under Governor, Hays, uh, uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson for a brief time. But apparently, uh, he's, he's been found guilty, uh, one-year probation, just a $250 fine and court cost. I've had a few folks text an email suggesting that was a slap on the wrist, but that's what that's what it was. Um, that's what a sentence was. He uh, um, allegedly, well, not allegedly, he's pled guilty to it now. Tried to tried to bribe Steve Holtz, who's the now the Sebastian County judge, but he was the treasure Sebastian County treasurer at the time. And Denny and Steve were uh, part of a three-person race in the GOP primary for Sebastian County Judge, and he tried to bribe Holtz, and apparently Holtz took whatever info he had. I don't know if he had recordings. We're kind of waiting for the affidavit. Um, took it to some officials and said, look, I, this, this is not cool. And so uh, that's, that's where we ended up. Um, had to bring in a judge because the Sebastian County circuit judges all recused, which is probably was probably a good thing. But um, and the one question we're waiting on, Kyle, I, I don't know yet. Uh, in fact, the, pro- the special prosecutor Emily White, um, who prosecuted the case, didn't know either. But what we don't know is, is if this prevents him from running for public office in the future. I would imagine it wouldn't be a good resume builder. Well, no, it wouldn't, but um, again, you and I have watched yeah. politics long enough to know that uh, just about the time you think somebody's never, ever going to get elected again, they pop up and they win. So I don't, uh, I, I do not make any definitive sure. statements anymore when it comes to Arkansas politics. Finally, I want to ask you about a series of stories that have been running the first of this year from talk business and politics under the banner of State of the State. You've talked about retail, you've talked about other factors of business. Uh, this is sort of an idea of where we are right now and what to expect in the future, right? Yes, it is. And um, again, I may at some risk of sounding a little vain or, or bragging on my own, our own reporters, but we've got a good crew of veteran reporters. And, I, you know, as I've been editing and posting these stories, I got to tell you, um, I've been impressed and I've been educated is I think the main thing I've learned a lot about, and I keep, I, I'd like to think that I kind of keep up with these things, but I've learned a lot about what's happened in the last year and some options and, and uh, opportunities and some possibilities for 2023. And we've looked at a lot of key economic sectors, energy, trucking, retail, construction, manufacturing, banking, finance, uh, even education, uh, Steve Bronner's stories on both education and the healthcare sector are great educational reads. So if you're uh, tired of the political reporting and the shenanigans out of Little Rock, um, and you want to take a break and read some good educational in-depth, uh, and it's not so in-depth that it's going to go over anybody's head. It's just good. Um, and we in explainer type stories. We talk to a lot of folks out in their respective fields. But if, if you want to get a good handle on uh, the economic world around you, please go read our state of state stories. We have a special section uh, that you can find them on. We have a link to that section in each story. Um, but um, anyway, I just want to want to tout the good reporting of our own folks. You can find all that reporting at talkbusiness.net, as well as reporting from all over the region in business and politics. Michael Tilly is with Talk Business and Politics. Let's get together again next Friday. I always look forward to it, sir. 
That's Charlie Hayden and Hampton Hawes doing an Ornette Coleman tune, Turnaround. And I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday right here on KUAF. We'll hear more from Charlie and Hampton as well as Branford Marsalis, Carol Sloan, Wallace Roney, Sonny Rollins, and much more. Tune in this week for Shades of Jazz. Shades of Jazz tonight at 10 on KUAF. Tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. Just ask your smart speaker to please play KUAF 3 or stream it from KUAF.com. A new bill has been proposed in the Arkansas legislature that would provide free health care services in home for newborns and parents. Representative Julie Mayberry of District 92 in Central Arkansas is the main sponsor of House Bill 1103. I spoke to Representative Mayberry earlier this week on the phone, and she says that the goal of this bill is to make sure that every new mom feels loved and supported. And that every new baby comes into the world with extra help. Um, That's really the goal. More than a year ago, I began looking to see what type of home visiting programs we have in the state of Arkansas, because we do have some um, home visiting programs that exist. But when we compare what Arkansas has been putting financially towards those programs, it's been piddly compared to other states. So I began looking at the programs and trying to figure out, okay, what program do we want to expand so that we have more home visiting for new moms and new babies so that they have the support to get on the right foot to start, you know, starting in life in the right way and, and, and feel the love. <laughs> and like I said, we have some home visiting programs and they're wonderful, but they are very extended. They can last a year or two, maybe three or longer and very expensive. And, and if the mom needs that amount of support, we certainly want to continue to give that. But I think that what this bill would do would make sure that every new mom is offered this opportunity. And it's a voluntary program. So if you're a mom and you don't want a nurse coming into your home, you can say, I don't want, I don't want this. But regardless of whether you have Medicaid or private insurance or no insurance, we want to make sure that two weeks about, two weeks after delivery, that you can have someone come and either just give you a pat on the back and say you're doing a great job (laughs) or connect you to other resources that are available to help support you and to figure out what you need to be successful as a mom and what your baby needs to get a good start in life. Are there any other states that are doing a program like this? So New Jersey and Oregon, Oregon being the first state to do it um, universally um, over the entire state. Both of those states are still in the process of rolling it out statewide, but that is their goal and that is what their legislation says, that they will have the program state offered statewide. There are obstacles along the way, like any new program starting out. So I don't see this happening in Arkansas right away, but if we never get started, it will never happen. And that's the the only holdback for me right now is just figuring out what's the right fit for Arkansas and how fast can we um, ramp this up. The bill, originally I have it set that we would have this ready to go in 2025, and the reality is it's going to take a lot of more foundational work working with our birthing hospitals and figuring out all the semantics so that um, we're making sure that it is not only available, but that it works the way it's supposed to work. And um, we do in the state of Arkansas have this program in Union County, which is El Dorado. It's funded through um, philanthropy right now, but every new mom in El Dorado is offered this service and they just started that a few years ago. And this bill doesn't specifically say what um, home visiting model to use, but the one that's been in my mind that I've talked to most is an organization called Family Connect. They're out of North Carolina, and it is a program through Duke University, and they have had a great amount of success. So, yes, there is a cost to this. Without a doubt, there is a cost, an upfront cost. But the savings on down the road and the quality of life that gets improved because of this is so worth it. So families, according to their, their statistics, families had 44% lower rates of child protective services investigations um, within the, the first two years of, of age. 
that obviously is a cost savings for the state, but more importantly, we're preventing child abuse. <laughs> you know, hello, why don't we start at the earliest stage? And if we can prevent and, and set things right from the very beginning, you know, it goes a long way towards the health and development of that child emotionally, physically, etc. You're also seeing less postpartum depression. You know, someone coming into your home and, and less postpartum depression happens to any mom. I, it doesn't matter what your background is. And it's something that people don't want to talk about because they're embarrassed by it. But the, in Oregon, actually, the, the representative there that kind of championed this in Oregon, she was a doctor, she was a physician, and she experienced postpartum depression. She probably is not one that people would have put in this category of high risk, but she championed this saying, we need this for all new moms. As I hear you talk about the, the two states that you mentioned, Oregon and New Jersey, neither of those are terribly conservative states like Arkansas is. Why do you think it's so important that that you as a Republican brings forward this sort of legislation? Because we want to protect babies. I, you know, I think too many times we wait till there's emergencies and then we're digging out of that emergency. The cost is more and the physical pain and circumstances around that situation are far worse. If we can get to the baby at the very beginning, we need to work harder at preventing the problem. You know, I will say, I started working on this before the reversal of Roe v. Wade, but obviously the situation in June that took place with our Supreme Court, I think lit a little fire under me even more to say, we need to do something abortion is not allowed in the state. So what are we doing? I've always said that I am not just pro-birth, I am pro-life. And what are we doing to help moms in these difficult circumstances to help them and to help the baby? This is a pro-life bill to me, without a doubt. This is a pro-life bill to me. Yeah, absolutely. Have you heard any pushback from your colleagues on this bill? You know, so far, I think most people have been supportive to the idea in general. We just still do have a lot of semantics, and I'm waiting on an official fiscal impact. I have some DHS gave me a few months back an idea of what it would cost Medicaid, but it, there is a requirement that private insurance cover this, and so we need to look at how that affects things. Then, as I mentioned, you know, some legislators concerned, how quickly can we roll this out? Do we have nurse capacity? That's something that's been brought up. Some studies are actually showing that there's not so much a nurse shortage. There are nurses out there. They've just left the profession. They don't want to work in a hospital setting anymore or whatever setting they were in. They're now doing other things because they had burnout. And I feel as if there are probably some nurses out there that might really love the opportunity to work with new moms and be in the home there with a brand new baby and helping a mom get a head start on, on life. Julie Mayberry is state representative for District 92 in Central Arkansas. This week delivered snow, another week of the 94th General Assembly in Little Rock, and more. Let's review some of what happened. Members of the Arkansas House Education Committee heard comments and questions over a so-called bathroom bill yesterday. House Bill 1156 would ban school students from sharing changing rooms, bathrooms, or sleeping quarters with those of the opposite sex. This could present a problem for transgender or non-binary students. The bill would make school officials who do not follow the policy lose 15% of their salary. David Naylor Jr. is on the Conway School Board. He sat next to lawmakers while he explained his support for the bill. The reason some of this came up is we had a issue on a trip out of town where we had a biological male that was transitioning to female that was placed in a room with two females on an overnight trip for the school. Um, that came to the attention of the superintendent. I think even the state said, look, we can't make you pass a policy, but you're going to need to address this. Clayton Crockett, the father of the transgender child at Conway High School, who went on the school trip, was also present at yesterday's committee meeting. He says the proposed legislation has had a negative impact emotionally on his daughter. I can tell you that she feels targeted, 
she feels discriminated against, she feels bullied, she feels singled out, she does not want to go to school, she is depressed, she, I can barely get her up every single day to get her to go to school. She was okay when it was a practice of using a single-use bathroom, but when it became a policy, she felt singled out. The committee also debated how a teacher could know if a student using a bathroom inconsistent with their sex assigned at birth. The committee plans to take a vote on the proposal at their next meeting Tuesday. Tens of thousands of households across Arkansas experienced some time without power this week after between 5 and 8 inches of snow fell Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning. Entergy estimates 36,000 of their customers lost power. Utility companies expect the hardest hit most remote areas should have power restored by 10 o'clock this evening. The National Weather Service expects highs tomorrow in the mid-50s and in the 40s on Sunday. There's a 50-50 chance of freezing rain or snow in northwest Arkansas Monday night and Tuesday. Sam's Club will build 30 new locations across the country, according to a press release. Talk Business and Politics reports the new structures will be 160,000 square feet larger than most existing Sam's Clubs. The new stores will have more food service and health space. No timeline for the project was announced. The Arkansas Razorback softball team picked to finish third in a poll of SEC coaches. It's the second straight year the Razorbacks have been predicted to finish third in the poll. Last year, Arkansas won the conference for the second straight season. First game of 2023 scheduled for February 10th against Weber State in the Rebel kickoff in Las Vegas. Sounds like it's good luck to be ranked third. Exactly. And Ozark Regional Transit will not be operating buses tomorrow for the agency's annual driver safety training day. All operations will be back to normal on Monday. This is Ozarks at Large with me. On the phone from her office in Bella Vista is Becca Martin-Brown, the Features Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome to Friday, Becca. Wait a minute. I have to unwrap all of my scarves <laughs> and pull my hat back. And <sighs> I'm already done with winter, and it's not the end of January yet. And the forecast, last time I checked, the forecast gave us a 50-50 chance for freezing rain Monday night. Just 50-50, so maybe it won't happen. Lovely. Yes. Well, I have some good news that will make your heart warm. Please. Last Friday night, Arkansas Public Theater announced the shows that it will present produce in its season 38. It's a little different because APT and the historic Victory Theater are going to be closed down for a little while this fall getting new seating and making some renovations inside. And all that's lovely, but it means season 38 is going to be really short. The first show, which they hope to get up on stage in February of next year, is Into the Woods. Sondheim, right? Sondheim. All the fairy tales you know. And then what happens afterward? The rest of the story. So that hopefully will open February 16th of next year. Okay. I am not going to scream in your ear because it would hurt the ears <laughs> of our listeners. Okay. You mentioned this. It's a yeah. little thing called rent. You're very excited about this. I might have kicked and screamed at the announcement, even though I knew they were going to announce it. So that we hope to have, we hope to see rent on stage in April of next year. And then the third show, because their season splits kind of in the middle of the year. Mm -hmm. So the sh third show that would be the end of season 38, it's another little show called Kinky Boots. So they're going all musical, all three shows. So you can go get your season tickets for those shows at ArkansasPublicTheater.org. And they even have some ways that you can support the theater with a ghost light fund while they're closed down. I understand. On stage at Theater Squared, a show called Kim's Convenience that was a big hit on Netflix, but was a play before that and is now a play again. 7.30, Tuesday through Friday, 2 and 7.30 on Saturdays, 2 on Sundays, through February 19th at Theater Squared, and tickets start at $20. Portsmouth Little Theater is about to open a show called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And is this based on the Robert Fulgham book? It actually is. Okay. It's got some music, it's got some monologues, it's got some scenes, and it starts in kindergarten and goes through life 
with some of the lessons that you learn. One of the actors says he plays an awkward little boy, a curmudgeonly coot, a middle-aged father, and a modern philosopher. So it opens on February 9th at 7.30 and continues through Valentine's Day with a special Valentine's Day performance on the 14th at Fort Smith Little Theater. It's $20 opening night and Valentine's Day, $12 all of their performances, tickets at fslt.org. Oh, we're not done yet. One more. Arts Live Theater is opening a production of The Outsiders on February 2nd. Set in 1967 Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's as near as I can tell, because I haven't seen the show, as near as I can tell, it's West Side Story in 1967, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Have you never seen the movie? No. Okay. All right. I'm not a movie kid. I'm a theater kid. I know. Well, okay. All right. It's um, You would recognize every single person in it, because it's you know Tom Cruise and all these people before they were, uh, they were stars. And it's uh, quite a moving story, and I think it's a... I think a lot of us read it at a certain age. Um, Natalie Lane's directing it, and she said she started out by introducing the young actors to the music of the Beatles, the Supremes, Simon and Garfunkel, and the Who, among others. So they got a quick course in the 60s. The show opens February 2nd, runs just that weekend, February 2, 3, 4, and 5, at Arts Live Theater at 818 North Sang Avenue in Fayetteville. And tickets are $10 for students and $12 for adults. So if that's not enough theater to hold you, the weekend of February 10th, Arkansas Public Theater opens Little Shop of Horrors. Yet another musical. Becca Martin-Brown features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review. I'm Pete Hartman. This week, I was able to speak to a number of those in our area trying to help out. On Monday, we heard from the Elizabeth Richardson Center. They were hosting a spaghetti dinner and variety show that evening. Just one of the things that the ERC does to help further its mission. Here's Jen Adair. The Elizabeth Richardson Center has been around for 60 years this year. 6-0. Yeah, okay. and they um, work with um, individuals with different learning disabilities. And they work with um, everyone from kids, infants actually, six weeks old to People that are in their 60s, 70s, um, they do amazing work up here for a community that can be um, not included in everything. Jen Adair with the Elizabeth Richardson Center. They have some special needs from the community right now to help them help their clients with their needs. Towels, clothing, toiletries. The ERC reminds us that they do accept donations from this community. You can find out more at ERC. INC.org. The Northwest Arkansas Beekeepers Association is wanting to spread the word and the education about beekeeping. On Monday, the group will offer the first of two beginning beekeeping classes. Here's member Jay Davidson. They really are geared toward the person who's interested in becoming a beekeeper yeah. that maybe, you know, they've been down the internet rabbit holes and they're not quite sure where to start or, or how to make sense of it all. So we hope to kind of expose people to a little bit of everything about beekeeping. So, and especially in the Northwest Arkansas area, because so much of beekeeping is very micro uh, climate. So what works good in Southern Arkansas may not make the most sense up here in the, the Northwest Arkansas. So we try to highlight kind of the differences and, uh, you know, we do have a, I think I personally took the beginning beekeeping class when I first started probably three different times. And uh, we have a lot of members of our club who participate who don't actively keep bees right now. They're just very interested in beekeeping. So it's uh, intended for, you know, the entire spectrum. Jay Davidson with the Northwest Arkansas Beekeepers Association. Monday's beginner beekeeping class will take place at the Don Tyson Center for Agriculture Sciences at the University of Arkansas. To find out more, nwabeekeepers.com. Diane Hallwick with the Fort Smith Public Library spoke with me this week about the library's Black History Month events coming up next month. She says when trying to put together such an important calendar, the library truly relies on the Fort Smith community. 
there's uh, so many people that are interested in, you know, celebrating the achievements uh, of African Americans and focusing on um, people in our community because we like to represent the community. So it's, it's just a good time to bring everybody together uh, to celebrate this month. We have a Black History Film Matinee this year. Uh, um, we're going to focus on uh, different films that maybe were underappreciated as they were released in that. They're all featured, uh, directed by black directors, featuring black actors that have top billing, and they will be on Fridays uh, at 2 p.m. at the main library. Uh, four different titles. Diane Hallwick with the FSPL. Other events that the library will host include an African-American read-in with author Angela Flake and the Black Heritage Celebration a wrap-up of the month on February 25th. For more, fortsmithlibrary.org. Susan Young with the Washington County Master Gardeners came by Thursday to talk about the Garden Gate Symposium, a totally free four-session day coming up in March that's been funded by the Garden Gate Tour, which takes place each June. What we're doing with this symposium is a new thing for us. We have four sessions on March 18th, one on growing organic vegetables by Jane Maganot, who is co-owner of Beyond Organics Farm, she and her husband. We will talk about irrigation for home gardens. That's with Ryan Neal, who is a Benton County Extension agent. Okay. The Living Buffet, a session about growing plants that help the ecosystem, that will, that will help our pollinators support the ecosystem. That session is by a pretty well-known local gardener, Holly Aaron, who is a self-described advocate for life on Earth. Okay. How can you not want to attend that? (laughs) And then a session on foraging and wild foods. The session's called The Future is Wild. It's with uh, Nina and Tim Hammer, who are cooks and foraging experts and owners of homegrown native foods. So they will talk to us about how to how to bring in some uh, native, naturally occurring foods into your, into your gardening and eating life. That's Susan Young with the Washington County Master Gardeners. Again, March 18th, the date for that Garden Gate Symposium. Registration is available now at wcmgar.org. We'll stay within that garden realm as we finish, along with some Mardi Gras action. The Botanical Garden of the Ozarks is excited for their first event of their 15th anniversary year, Mardi Gras in the Garden District, coming up in mid-February. Here's John Barry. We wanted to bring people out to the garden. The garden's beautiful all year long, and we thought, what a way to start it with a Mardi Gras, and it just makes sense. We've got an indoor and outdoor space that we'll have heated for the event. We'll have some opportunities, some gaming tables, so it'll be a lot of fun. What do we have? Blackjack, craps, and roulette tables. We have fun prizes to win. There'll be a live jazz band. There'll be, of course, Cajun, Cajun-style Cajun mm. food. Uh, libations. Yes. Adults. Yes, there'll be drinks. Party yes. girl. Okay, I guess that. <laughs> yes. Can Can't that. forget that. That was implied. So it's meant to be a party. It's meant to be fun. So, yeah, wear something for the occasion. That's Lane Berry, Communications Director at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks. She says all during this 15th anniversary year, they'll be hosting different events to celebrate. Two of those will be prizes during Mardi Gras in the Garden District. One is two tickets to the annual Chefs in the Garden coming up in May. Another, the chance for 10 people to have the garden to themselves as Chef Marty Schmidt from Cafe Rue Orleans prepares an intimate Cajun dinner. For more on Mardi Gras in the Garden District, bgozarks.org. Another great week of hearing from our friends and neighbors throughout the KUAF listening area helping out in the way that they can. You can hear more of those stories each weekday morning at 631 and 831 during the Community Spotlight here on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. You can contact me at Pete at KUAF.com. And remember, your voice matters. It's been nearly a year since we last heard from Circle of Thirds, but the band's been busy. Aside from shows every fourth Saturday of the month at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville, they've performed at stages around Fayetteville, Eureka Springs, Tahlequah, and they have an upcoming show in Joplin. The band, Jacob Arnold on drums, Valdemar C. Gordonson on piano, Marco Wilmer on bass, 
Hudson Curley sax and Evan Wood on trombone. They recently stopped by our Furman Garner Performance Studio to catch up with Ozarks at Large's Timothy Dennis and perform a few songs for us.
the last time we were here, we had a kind of a different lineup. We had a different bass player. We had a guitarist. We don't have a guitarist anymore. Marco is our new bass player. Now we got two horn players. How has adding horns to the mix, how has that kind of changed your repertoire? It really gives us a lot more options because now, depending on what the show is, we can play, you know, as a trio without horns or we can play with one horn or we can play with multiple horns. And so depending on the size of the venue and like how loud they want the music and stuff, we just have more options. And then in addition to having more options for different venues, we have more options for song selection. We can pick songs that feature horns heavily now. And before we couldn't really do that. Yeah, horns add a lot more volume. So it's like if you want to be louder to have dance music or something. Yeah, like I don't think we would have done Jump Monk if we didn't have horns. Well, it seems like y'all have stayed incredibly busy. I mean, if not every weekend, at least every other weekend in the past year, y'all have had a show somewhere. How do you keep up the energy to do that? And how do you keep it fresh feeling? For me, I mean, this this is my job, so... I kind of have to keep the energy up, but not having to work 40 hours a week somewhere else and then working more with these shows, uh, you know, I have, since this is all I'm doing, I can divert more energy towards this. I also kind of treat this as a second job or like a part-time job, I guess. I mean, I, I work at Guitar Center, but it's my other source of income, I guess. I think all of us have a like a deep passion for the music. So it never really gets tiring for us. As far as like keeping it new, I think we also are continuously adding new songs to our repertoire. So we have like a, keeping, a, things, fresh. Yeah, keeping things fresh of a like a continually expanding list of songs we play. Yeah. And we're, tr- we're trying to uh, get more originals in. Yeah, two of the songs we played today were originals. About how much of your set list is typically covers have, how much of it is typically original yeah mostly covers i think we have like five originals now i will add to that that in jazz it's a little bit different it's it's not considered covers per se it's usually known as standards and those are songs that like most jazz bands play at some point and instead of covering them in the sense where you try to usually play pretty much exactly how it's written it's open to interpretation. So every jazz band that plays the same standard is going to play it differently. Yeah, jazz is one of those genres where you can get pretty big and never write an original piece of music your entire career. I mean, it's possible. Not all people have done it, but I mean, you can get there, I guess. So when you're writing originals, what do you draw on for inspiration? Kind of how does that process go? I'm writing a song for the band right now, and I think something Duke Ellington did for his orchestra back in the in the swing era is he he would write music for his his specific players that he had. And so I haven't completed a song yet. When I finish, when I'm writing a song, I'm usually thinking about who is going to be playing it and what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's it's a lot of different sources of inspiration, but lately it's been a lot of bebop bebop players like Charlie Parker, Bud Powell. Hank Jones. A lot of my originals draw inspiration from both like classical music and doom metal. As you can hear in our original. Jazz Acalia and C minor. Yeah, we, we call that genre doom jazz because it you know doom metal is metal that's slow and sad. And so doom jazz is jazz that's slow and sad. So now the Jazz Acalia is actually Loosely based on a piece by J.S. Bach called Passacaglia in C minor. It has kind of a similar bass line, which is repeated throughout the piece. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do in that song, too. So y'all had a really busy year last year. Uh, what what have you got coming up this year? Is it is your calendar quite as busy as it was in 2022? Um, so I got to give a shout out to somebody for this question. Cause we recently got a new manager, um, and he is keeping us busy. He has been booking us a lot of shows at a lot of different places. Uh, his name is Joe Swink. I have to shout him out. So he's getting us a lot of shows. We're playing at a lot of new places that we haven't played before. And we're returning to some of the old ones. Like we have a God Hold brewery show coming up. And we, we have some 612 coffee shop shows coming up, but we're excited to 
keep playing new places.
That was Circle of Thirds with Jacob Arnold on drums, Valdemar C. Gordonson on piano, Hudson Curley sax, Marco Wilmer bass, and Evan Wood on trombone. They will perform tomorrow night and every fourth Saturday of 2023 at 612 Coffee House in Fayetteville. Their next local show after that is at Gotta Hold Brewing in Eureka Springs on February 17th. You can find out more about the band on Facebook or Instagram or at circleofthirds.wordpress.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Kingston. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF, and today's show was produced by yours truly inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate New Studio 2. Contributors today included Timothy Dennis, Pete Hartman, Michael Tilley, and Becca Martin-Brown. We'll return Sunday morning at 9 with Weekend Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. We got uh, 57 seconds left. I'm going to ask you, Matthew Moore, who do you want to win Sunday night, the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas City football team? See, this is a, this is a trap, Kyle. It's just about whether you want to be employed <laughs> or not. That's all. I tell you what, I will I will say this to say that uh, when we were watching the Cleveland, or I'm sorry, we were watching the Bengals and the Bills play mm-hmm. last week. We had a split household in my house. Uh, oh. One of us was cheering for the Bengals, and the other one was cheering for the Bills. Uh, and one of us is happy, and the other one is right. fine. Okay. Um, I will tell you that someone in my household would prefer for the Chiefs to win, and someone would prefer for the Bengals to win. Tune in Monday to see who's employed. <laughs> is it Matthew? <laughs> Or is it somebody else from his house? Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Nice weekend coming up. Uh, From the Carver Center for Public Radio, this is Ozark at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. Be well.